All right, we are in week number two of a brand new series for the year of 2022. We'll never have this year again, and this is, and we'll never have a first series of 2022 again, so here we are, and I'm glad that you're a part of it. Um, this morning, I, I simply want to let you know, there are moments in my life where I lose control. I flip my lid. I, there are moments where I just make some pretty bad decisions, and I lose control. Let me, let me start. I have a history of this, by the way. This is not um, something that's new. So I'm thinking about myself in first grade. Uh, I went to Root Elementary School in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And in first grade, my sister and I, school had let out. And we're, so it's full of children in the hallways getting ready to go home. And uh, that's back in the day when so many children actually walked home from school. And my sister and I, that we did that. And so I'm with my sister. We're walking down the hallway. I don't know what she said. She's three years older than I am. I'm in about kindergarten or the first grade. I think it was about the first grade. What, she said something to me. I don't know what it was. I didn't like it. And immediately I lost control. I got real mad and I kicked her. The problem, though, is that is a problem, probably, but the real problem is Mr. Lemon, uh, the principal, saw me do it. And he was an imposing figure, had just a little bit of a humpback. So he was hunched over a little bit. He was a scary guy. And I knew what all the other children knew at that school was. Uh, at least I had it on good advice from older students that Mr. Lemon had an electric paddle. And so he caught me kicking my sister, and I think he actually kind of grabbed us both by uh, our shirt collars, and he walked us to the office, which was a very short walk, but boy, was it long. And he got into the office, and I, I, it's a blur from there. I don't remember what happened. I don't remember what he said. I was scared to death. I probably peed my pants. I don't know. It was, I was, he was a scary man. I do know this. I never saw the electric paddle. Oh, what a blessing that day. But I never, at least in the hallway at Root Elementary School, did I ever kick my sister again. It worked. I lost control, but I made my way out of that one. Another uh, moment comes to mind. Uh, when I was in the eighth grade, I was on a youth trip. My church was in Little Rock. By this time, I lived in Little Rock. Uh, eighth grade, went on a church youth trip. We were in Dallas, um, and uh, you know we got there on charter buses, so two or three buses pull up. We all had uh, rooms, hotel rooms, and um, there were four youth per room. Um, the girls all had their rooms, the boys all had their rooms, and there was a strict rule, no boys in the girls' rooms, and no girls in the boys' room. Very strict rule. For some reason, my buddy and I thought that, well, maybe that rule didn't really apply to us, so we went into the girl, one, of the, uh, one of the girls' rooms filled with four girls, and we got caught. And boy, I lost control in that moment, went into that room, someone walked down the hallway, and they saw through the window that we were in there. That was a bad deal. <laughs> I, uh, you know what happened? Um, so for the rest of that trip, and I think we were going to Six Flags the next day, uh, my buddy and I had to stay with, all day long, had to stay with uh, one of the adult leaders. Um, what a bummer. 
None of my other friends were with adult leaders. They were out having fun in Six Flags. I was with some old fogey sitting on a bench somewhere because they didn't want to do anything. Man, man, that really was horrible. I think of another moment when I lost control. Now, let's see. That was the eighth grade. Now, let, let me take you one year later to the ninth grade. And by no means do I want to imply that those were the only moments I lost control. These are just a few I'm willing to share. So, the ninth grade, I remember this. I'm in civics class and in my high school in Little Rock. Civics class. What a horrible class. Um, and so, I'm in civics class, and I think we were doing uh, current events and this class was taught by a coach. And it was a typical class taught by a coach, at least in the 80s. Um, I love these pens. We had pens similar to this. And so these pens, you know, you can take all the parts out and take the end off there. And it is a perfect pen to shoot spitballs. I mean perfect. They just fly out of there, and if you build them right and shoot them right, they're great and very accurate. Well, um, during uh, this class, this class, we decide to shoot spitballs across the room at each other, of course, not at, not at like the teacher or anything or the coach. We're shooting them at each other, but it gets, it gets so out of hand that the coach reaches that point, you know, that, that all coaches reach when they have had enough. He reached his breaking point. Yeah, he sure did. And he sent us all out into the hallway, this coach did. Because he reached his breaking point, which led this to happen. This, this exact paddle right here. So if you're younger than, you know whatever, maybe 25, you have no idea what this is. This is a paddle. The coach reached his breaking point, and because of that, across my backside, this paddle reached its breaking point. <laughs> Faux show, right across my backside. You know, there's something about coaches, they really know how to swing the paddle. And he did, and it snapped right in two. So this is it. This is it. Um... I recognize all those names on there, too. We got to sign it, got paddled. Why would they do that? Anyway, so just encourage you to get another one. That was that. You know, the thing that seems to happen, this is so interesting to me, because all of the times, pretty much, in my life where I have lost control, do you know what? Someone else always found it. I lost control but somebody else found it. You know what I mean? Every time I lost self-control, someone else out there around me eventually would end up gaining control or taking control over me or taking control over the situation that I was involved in. My lack of self-control caused someone else to come in and have more control over me. Hence, this coach as my authority exercised more control over me because of my lack of self-control. And Cole talked about this last week. Today he's talking to Malvern, but last week Cole talked about this, that, that he and I both, we have trouble doing the next right thing. I want to do the next right 
thing, but I have trouble doing that. And all too often, one of the main reasons I have trouble and Cole has trouble doing the next right thing is because, here it just boils down to this, I just don't feel like it. <laughs> I just don't feel like doing the next right thing. I feel like doing something else. Or I feel like uh, doing nothing at all, maybe even. I just want to veg out and do nothing. But you know what? When I do feel like doing the next right thing, I do the next right thing. I'll do it. Now think with me, though, about that statement. It kind of sounds like I'm saying, like I let my feelings control me. Which is exactly this morning what if you have a child in 252, school age kids, or if you have a child in first look, that's what they're learning this whole month. We call it their life app. And that main thing that they're teaching all month long, the life app, and here for the life app, uh, this main thing that they're teaching is about self-control. Their definition, McKinley has it on the screen for you, is our definition as well. It says this, self-control, choosing to do what you should even when you don't want to. And for us as adults and as teenagers in this room, we have the very same one, but we're tweaking the language just a bit for us. They're learning that, but we're changing it to this right here, if you'll see it on your screen. It says, choosing to do the next right thing, even when I don't want to. And that's what we're talking about this entire month. You see, if I only do the right thing when I feel like doing the right thing, then that's not really self-control. Instead, I'm being controlled by my feelings. And when feelings control, we lose control. And someone else always finds it. But sometimes, you know, it's not a matter of just doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing. Instead, sometimes it's a matter of timing, doing something rather at the best time. That means for us as adults and teenagers, sometimes we have to delay the gratification until the right time or the best time. But that's so hard for us. And so often we're horrible at that. You know why? Here, here, here's one reason we're horrible. Because that's why it's so difficult for us to save money. Because we are having to delay that gratification. But you know what? I want that and I want it now. I want it. That's why it's so difficult for me at a fast food restaurant because I really do want three hamburgers. It's not, I do, I want them. But I should delay that and probably spread that over the course of a couple weeks. <laughs> but I don't. It's hard to delay that gratification, and here's why. Because we want what we want, and we want it now. So, in that case, it's not really my feelings that have so much control over me or over you. In that case, it is our desires controlling us. And if we don't control ourselves, then our desires will control. And when desires control, we lose control and someone else 
finds it. So, when feelings control, when desires control, it all leads to a loss of self-control. Which inevitably, when I lose self-control, others have to exercise more control over me. Whether it's an authority or it's someone else, they have to exercise more control over me. But self-control, it is such a, a, an important part of our development. So consider with me for a moment, a child and a parent relationship. Let's start real simple. Let's just start with eating, eating food. In the beginning, early on, that parent is in complete control of everything that is eaten and when it is eaten and how it is eaten because they're taking it out of that thing. When I fed my daughter, Victoria, I was an excellent feeder. I would, I would take that little jar of baby food. I would load up that spoon real big because I wanted to be efficient. I would get a lot on there. I would wait, get her mouth open real wide, and I'd put it in. I'd slide it, I would slide it off to get it all in there, and then I would swipe, swipe to get what was on her lips, and I'd go back in, and I would get a real big load. I'd wait. She'd open her mouth. I'd get, I was efficient, but I was in complete charge of everything that was going on in that moment. More parent control. But as she grew up, as kids grow up, guess what happens? They get more and more control. They begin feeding themselves, and we want them to. They learn how to, and in the beginning, they just go all with the hands, but then we teach them how to use a fork, and then we make them, we force them to have self-control and to use that fork or that spoon. Even when they don't want to, we teach them how to do it, and we demand that they use that. You don't have any 18-year-olds who uh, are eating still the same way, right? No, because they have self-control. We teach them, and that grows. So they get more and more, and you give them more and more control over themselves. Same thing, using the restroom. In the beginning, as a parent, that child's in control of when it comes out, but you're in control of everything that happens after that point. And someone better be. <laughs> and so you control that until that glorious day comes when they learn how to use the potty. And then you give that job to them and you let them exercise that self-control over their lives. And you're, you're grateful for that day. It happens with homework. As your child is little, when they come home with homework, you open up that folder or that file, and you're looking, making sure. Here's all the things you have to do, and you make sure that child does that. But as they grow up, as they go further, they begin to be more and more in charge of their homework to the point that when it doesn't get done, they are responsible for it. Not you, right? You give them more and more responsibility as they have self-control. It happens with chores at home. You teach them and give them more and more. In the beginning, you're right over them, showing them how to do it, making sure they do it, making sure they come down and do it. But eventually, that is just on a list, and they are responsible for that. It sounds to me like parents really are in charge of two major things as a parent, and maybe this is it. Parents are in charge of making sure that child's life is pointed toward Jesus. That's their job. And secondly, their job is to make sure that child learns self-control so that they can have more 
and more control over themselves and therefore more and more responsibility so they can contribute to life in this society. Teenagers, same thing. They're given more and more responsibility because they develop more and more control over themselves. This is honestly not new. This is all God's plan. And you require more and more from your teenager. More self-control is required as they go through school to the point that one day homework is entirely up to them. You expect them to control themselves and bring home whatever they have to do and you expect them to do it. In fact, it gets to the point where you don't even check if they have studied for a test. You expect them to have the control over themselves to go and study for the test and then show up for that test at school the next day and to take that test, and you expect them to pass it. Same thing with driving. You teach them in the beginning how to drive, and you are very much in control of everything that's going on. You're in control, and you're very alert, and you're paying close attention to everything, but then the day comes, they get their license, they get more time in, on, the, on driving and on the road, and they get more and more control over themselves and that giant vehicle that they're driving, that enormous piece of steel and plastic. They get complete control. Because they have been developing self-control and you've put them out there and they've earned it they, and, it, and it is now their control until something goes wrong. Until self-control is not displayed in their life with that vehicle. So maybe they get caught speeding and they get a ticket and the insurance goes up and you're not happy. Then you're going to take more control, Right? You're going to jump in and take some sort of control over that. Or perhaps that teenager with their car stays out past their curfew. And so suddenly now they had a lack of self-control. They made a choice, a decision that did not have the control of themselves to say, I'm going to do what was expected. And then you as a parent step in and you take more control over that vehicle or over their driving. That's what happens, right? When we have a lack of self-control, it leads to a parent taking more control again. I want you to pay attention to this next statement. McKinley's going to have it on the screen. This is so important. So important. Lessons in self-control training are much, much, much less expensive, much less damaging, much less costly if we will learn them as a child and as a teenager rather than waiting to learn them as an adult. You see, as we develop, as we grow, we should be exhibiting and modeling more and more self-control, better self-control. Because as we grow up, as we turn 17 and 18 and 19 and then into our adult age, the stakes go up and the price tag goes up, way up, when we don't have self-control as an adult. Think about an adult with their boss or their supervisor. We must have self-control at our job, with our responsibilities. 
Our supervisor or boss gives us more and more control as they teach us and train us. This is how I want it done, the way I want it done, when I want it done. And then they give us more and more control over our lives there at work while we are doing exactly the way they taught us to do it, when to do it. We're given more control. It leads to autonomy, and it leads to us saying, yeah, I like this job. And, it, and, and it's great at work until, until we don't show up for work or until we keep coming in late or until we begin to do sloppy work. We're losing self-control. We're losing the control over ourselves. And then more and more of that control that we lost goes back to the boss, goes back to the authority figure, goes back to the supervisor. And if that loss of self-control happens often enough, then we are without a job, right? We can blame all the people that we want, but the truth is we lost self-control. Think about an adult with the government. We have to have self-control with our taxes and pay our taxes until we don't use self-control and we don't pay our taxes and then we end up with tax liens on our houses and on our property. We lose control of ourselves and guess what? They are going to take that control. And they're going to take, even it'll get to the point where they will take our property away from us. And they might even send us to jail where we have the ultimate loss of control. Self-control and the speed limit. We get a ticket, guess what? Our insurance goes up. If we get enough tickets, we lose our insurance. And then when we lose our insurance, we lose our ability to have control over driving. They take that from us. Self-control with drinking. We lose control. Who's going to take it? The popo. They're going to take our control. As they should. Self-control with prescription drugs. If we lose control in the way we take prescriptions prescription drugs, if we take them as they are not prescribed or drugs that are not prescribed to us, we are losing self-control. Someone, that drug first, will take control from you and then an authority figure eventually will take that control from you. I'm a perfect example of the next thing, self-control with food. You lose control, guess what? The doctor is going to take control. And then eventually, long enough, then it will go past that. Eventually, the hospital will take control. And do you know what? Ultimately, your insurance company will take control and tell you what you can and cannot do, what can and cannot happen to you, because we lost control. There are self-control issues with the Internet. There are self-control issues with video games. And the examples can go on and on and on. But the results are all the same. In any area of our lives, when I lose self-control, when you lose self-control, something gets control. Or someone or some entity or some authority will step in and assume control. So this is so critical for us.
To control ourselves means that we need to do the next right thing even when we don't feel like it. And if we don't learn it, if we don't learn it as a preschooler, and then we don't learn it in elementary school or as a teenager, and then we don't have it as an adult, we will remain our worst enemy, our own worst enemy. Now this morning, we're going to be looking at some 4,000-year-old wisdom, maybe 3,000. Somewhere around 3,000 years ago, uh, the king of Israel, his name was Solomon, King Solomon. He had an interesting perspective on this thing called self-control and why it was so significant. And here's what he said about self-control in Proverbs 25, verse 28. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. That's what he said. Now, it's no great shock that King Solomon would choose to compare the significance of self-control in our lives with the importance of these protective walls that were built around cities and built around states in the region where King Solomon was. And I just want to hit pause here for just a moment and let you know this very same verse that we're teaching about today in here, your children are being taught about that very same verse in self-control in their areas. They're being taught on their levels. We're teaching it in here on a teenager and an adult level. So ancient city walls, they played a big, big role in the lives of everyone who lived inside of those walls in the city. Now, obviously, the first obvious thing is that for ancient city walls, they offered protection for the people who were inside. So the city's walls around them served for the very, the very first purpose here as protection to keep them out. Keep who out? Who were they trying to keep out? They were trying to keep out all of those other people and countries that wanted to come in and take control of the city and the citizens inside those walls. It was to keep them out. So a walled city would offer these people inside protection. And so it kind of gave them some margin. So they had these walls around them and on this side of the wall, they were safer. There was security. It was good. It gave a margin. In here, I can have life. But if those walls aren't there, then they can come in. They can come in and they can start controlling me and taking things from me. My freedom. So in here safe, out there with the walls down, certain ruin. And that's the point that King Solomon is trying to make with this word picture that he's creating. When we lack self-control, those defensive walls around us are broken down. If I lack self-control, my defense that keeps me safe is broken down. When I lack self-control in my life, I'm living on the edge here with broken down walls. 
I'm teetering between life and safety and over here, utter ruin when I lack self-control. The defensive walls around my life are broken down. If I don't do in my life what is needed to keep those walls built up and to keep them strong, if I don't do what is needed, then I am initially just, uh, uh, just inviting people in. I'm just saying, hey, here's an invitation. Come on in to my city, to my life. Come on in and take control. I'm just inviting them in. You see, without self-control, I'm simply surviving. As I go from one negative incident to another, putting out fires in my life because I didn't have self-control. I'm going from incident and moment and occurrence to the next incident, moment, and occurrence, just trying to survive and trying to put out the fires around me in my life if I don't have self-control. And it's all those fires are brought about because my walls of self-control have broken down. But there's another purpose for walls around an ancient city. The day that King Solomon was alive, way back then, 3,000 years ago, history records for us that a mark of an organized civilization's ability to thrive in the world could be directly traced to the presence of defensive walls around that city. A guy named David Fry wrote a book. The name of the book was called Walls, A History of Civilization in Blood and Brick. And here's what he had to say about that, about city walls. He says, walls were considered the key to peace. And he quotes a 4,000-year-old uh, king. He was the king of Ur. 4,000 years ago, and here's what the king of Ur, he, he is known, as far as history goes, the first to have built walls around his city. And here's what he wrote, the king of Ur, 4,000 years ago. He said this, his fortifications would finally allow his people to rest in, in a peaceful dwelling place. That was 4,000 years ago. That's an old statement. He says, finally, my people, my kingdom, finally, they can rest in, in dwelling places and be at peace because they're not worried about who's going to come in and take control. They can finally take a breath and rest. You see, a walled city gave them protection. It offered security. It offered safety. And here's what we're saying with this now. It also created opportunity. No wonder that King Solomon used this as a comparison to self-control. In a time when uh, the defense of a nation was uh, at the top of its radar, for them to survive as a nation, they had to keep other people who wanted to control them out. And ancient city walls made that possible for them to now be at peace 
and to begin to grow in other ways because they didn't have to worry so much about their security. So a walled civilization could now do more than simply just survive. They could begin to learn and grow and create things. They could begin to advance their society because they weren't concerned with just merely surviving now. They could actually, inside of those walls, begin to thrive. And they did. They began to thrive inside the protection of those ancient city walls. And in our lives, self-control works in a very similar way. You see, if we're constantly moving from one problem, one incident that our self-control has created, we said something, we did something, and we created a problem, and we're moving from one problem to the next, one problem to the next, all we're doing is moving from incident to incident, trying to get things back in control, trying to make things right, trying to keep things from exploding, trying to keep life together. If that's what we're doing, then we have no time in our lives no margin in our lives to lead our family, our children. We have no time. When, when, when do you have time to be a good parent if we're constantly putting out fires that were created by a, lot, a lack of self-control? When do we have time to, to help our families or even ourselves grow spiritually or physically or relationally when all we're doing is putting out fires one to the next, one to the next because our self-control walls have broken down. When our self-control is non-existent, we are just surviving. And until self-control walls are built up, we can only just survive. So it all starts here. Do you want to leave a legacy for your children? Grandparents, do you want to leave a legacy for your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren? Do you want it to go on for generations, the influence that you were able to leave in their lives? Generation to another generation? Then we must begin to build up those walls of self-control. Do you want to make an impact on your family tree beyond today? Then self-control is the key. Because until we learn to change ourselves, we can never change our family. 
The bottom line today, and we want you to remember it, we hope you will, is this. Either we control ourselves or something else gets more control over us. Let that sink in. I hope you'll remember it. Either we control ourselves or something else gets more control over us. Do I have that on the screen, McKinley? I may have left it off, but if I, there it is. I, we're going to leave that on the screen for just a few minutes, at least moments. I would encourage you, if you have trouble remembering that phrase, to pull your phone out, to take a picture of that, or to take your pen and write it on the back of that worship pack or something. Write that down. Let that sink in. Either we control ourselves or something else gets more control over us. And while that's on the screen, I want to talk about it for just a moment. Because I want to recognize, as we lose control in our life, someone else will find it. And they will exercise control over us. If our walls are broken down, someone's coming in and they're going to take control. But I do want to recognize the paradox that is in this statement. We're going to talk about a lot of paradoxes in 2022. We began in December. We're going to talk about a lot of paradoxes. And here's one of those paradoxes. A paradox is when two statements seem to be opposite of each other, but yet they're completely true, even though they seem to be opposites. Now, here's the paradox of self-control. We call it self-control, but the truth is it's really Holy Spirit control. It's not self-control. We're told in the New Covenant that that self-control is a product of the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit. So we call it self-control, but it's really Holy Spirit control. But here's the paradox. But yet, it's Holy Spirit control, but yet it is self-control. And that sounds like we're saying two different things. We are. Self-control is actually Holy Spirit control, but it's actually self-control. It's a paradox. They're both completely true. It comes from the Holy Spirit, but you and I have a role to play, a decision to make. I have to control myself enough to say, I'm going with him. I'm going to go with God's spirit on this. I'm going to go with God's word on this. It's a paradox. And we want you to know we recognize that as we teach this series. So all of this this morning comes down to this. Here we are. Here's, here's, here's what we're asking as a next step. If you want 2022 to be different than 2021, we're going to give you the very same next steps that we had last week. And here it is. The first one would be Sundays. We're going to challenge you to be at as many Sunday worship gatherings as possible. To make it a priority where you say, I'm going to be there. I'm going to create this habit in my life where I am gathering with the church on Sundays. And we would say, shoot for like 50. Because here's the, here's the reality. So many times, we don't even do 25, which would be every other Sunday. So many times, 
we're like, yeah, maybe I'll do it once a month or maybe once every six weeks, once every eight weeks, sometimes once every three months. And listen, there is no consistency. We are not going to grow together in that self-control if we are not in here together under the teaching of God's Word. So we challenge you this year to say, I'm going to make that a priority. The three S's. Here's the second one. Every time you're here on those Sundays, and I would encourage you, the Sundays you can't be here, to listen online, to listen to the Facebook Live. But we're going to challenge you every single Sunday. The next one is, the next S is to next steps, steps, take steps. Take a next step every single week. And listen, it may not be a step that we even suggest. It may be something that God puts on your heart and says, I want you, because of what my word says here, I want you to do this. It may be something different than what we suggest. We just give you a suggestion, a possibility of a next step. But we encourage you, take a step for that week every single time you are here. Arrive knowing and expecting, I'm going to take a step with God today that's going to stretch me and push me and encourage me as he develops what only he can truly develop in our life. And that is change through self-control. Take a step every single time you're here. And here's... And I would even add this to it. I would say, talk with your children as you leave during the week about their step that they're taking because of what they learned in 252 and first look. Talk with them about their step. They are talking today about that. Talk with them about that step. And then share with them the step you are going to take as their grandparent, or their parent, or their aunt, or their uncle, you share with them the step you're taking. And here's the third S. It stands for small groups. We have three trimesters of small groups. We meet for about 8 to 12 weeks, and then we take about a month off. We meet for 8 to 12 weeks, we take about a month off. We meet well, we also eat for 8 to 12 weeks, and then we take a month off, not of eating, just of small grouping. And I would encourage you to be a part of a small group every single trimester. Every single one. Be a part. Find one. Sign up for it. And then be a part of that group. And those are the three S's. And here's what our hope is. That through your experience of being under the teaching of God's Word and through your experience of taking next steps based upon what you hear God speaking to your heart and then through the community of other people in a small group of other people who are also trying to follow Jesus but now together as a group that God will be rebuilding those walls around us of self-control. Either we will control ourselves or something else gets more control over us every single time. Now, let's talk to our Heavenly Father together. Let's pray. God, in your wisdom, that you gave to the wisdom writer. God, you, you told him. 
said, write this down. A person without self-control is like a city whose walls have been broken down. And God, I, I just pray to you now, we don't want to give up that control. We don't want to give that control to our feelings. God, we don't want to give the control of our lives over to our desires because those will end up enslaving us and abusing us. And God, we don't want to invite other authorities into our lives to take control over us because we didn't take control over ourselves. And God, we desire to leave a legacy to our children and to our grandchildren, a legacy of learning to control ourselves so that they can just live each day not having to survive one bad decision to the next bad decision. But God, they can begin to learn in the safety of self-control how to flourish and how to celebrate life. God, I'm asking that you help us develop that kind of control that allows us to do the next right thing even when we don't want to. And help us to learn this together as we gather together on Sundays and as we take next steps every week and as we do life together in small groups. Jesus, give us your strength. And give us your success in this. And we ask that you do that, Jesus, in direct proportion to how seriously we pursue you and self-control. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.